Hi friends, um, today we'll be reading uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 to chapter 2 verse 11. As Christians we take joy in reading the Bible as it's God's way of communicating his incredible plan for us and his way of guiding us so that we live lives worthy of his gospel. So let's read. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, um, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value, yourself, uh, value others above yourself not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I found it really interesting in recent times, uh, a lot of shows that I've been watching or movies or even video games that I've been playing about uh, artificial intelligence and about androids and about how uh, how technology has advanced so much that there's a possibility that there are going to be you know, artificial intelligence robots that are going to be able to do everything a human being can do. I don't know if you find that interesting. I think this is really fascinating, this whole uh, advancement, progress in science and, and technology. Uh, in particular, there's a video game I played last year. It's called Detroit. Oh, it's called Detroit Becoming Human. It's crazy. A really clever video game uh, on the PlayStation about how you're an android and you've been programmed to serve human beings. And as the story progresses, the androids, they break through their preset programming. And instead, they start making decisions on their own. They see humans getting hurt. And although their owners, like they're like, you know, these androids are like slaves, they're human, the humans uh, that own them, uh, tell them, you know, don't move, don't do anything. The androids, they force themselves to, to break free of their programming and they act on what they believe is right to do, right? So that's why it's called Detroit Becoming Humans. It's set in Detroit. And so these androids, they start making real choices. And you as a player, you get to decide essentially the, the choices that these androids make. It's really a narrative, isn't it, about freedom. What makes us human, becoming human? a really deep 
video game uh, because it touches upon really selfishness, it touches upon pride, uh, but the ability to make real choices and using your freedom to do good. I found this really interesting. I mean, making choices that aren't just for self-gain, making choices that aren't just for your own entitlement, but to care for the needs of others, it, it was very political, you could say. I don't play heaps of video games, but when I do, man, that they're, they're deep and they really rip a hole in the human heart. I was blown away. But here's the thing. Isn't that speaking into something even deeper for all of us? A game like this or the science fiction theme of, of artificial intelligence. You know, the, the, the shows like, like Black Mirror or, or Westworld or whatever it is that you've watched recently about that. You know, how will we as human beings, not as, not as robots or androids, given the choice, how will we use our freedoms? It's the age-old question, isn't it, for every civilization, for every generation. And if we were to dig a bit deeper and ask that question, not even just as human beings, but as people, as God's people, as God's church, knowing and possessing a spiritual freedom that comes only from Christ, how will we use that freedom for the sake of us? See, if you remember last week, we spoke all about what true freedom looks like in Jesus how we're not shackled by the expectations of society. We're not limited or restricted by what life or death, what success or failure throws at us. Most of all, we're not bound by the sin of our hearts. When we have Jesus, we're freed people. And last week we heard Paul quote, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, it's so much more than, than a catchy Instagram caption, isn't it? Uh, so much more than a, a cool quote to get tattooed on your wrist. I mean, feel free to do that. It'll look good. But for Paul, it was what he lived by. It was the truth that set him free, whether he faced life or whether he faced death. And as we go into today's passage, Paul turns from his own life and he turns to addressing the Philippian church, the lives of people in the church like you and I. He wants them to know what their lives should look like if Christ has so impacted and filled their hearts as well. He wants them to know what it means to live with a courage and a hope centered on the gospel, on Jesus. And so he writes straight off the bat from verse 27, live lives worthy of the gospel. Let's read it. Whatever happens, verse 27, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one, for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Now, some Bibles, if you're reading from a paper Bible, it has a footnote, and it'll say it originally reads, behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Wow, we've become a new people. We're not just uh, defined by our ethnicity anymore, the nation we come from, our family comes from. We're a new people, we're God's people now. We're citizens of a greater kingdom. And so Paul says, live life worthy of the citizenship that's been given to you. We were just talking to Roy about visas and becoming, you know, uh, uh, getting a visa to stay in Australia and that idea of citizenship. You know, it's a privilege, isn't it, to be able to, to get citizenship. And now Jesus 
Because of Jesus, Paul says, we have citizenship in heaven. It's been granted to us as a gift. Notice Paul doesn't say live a life that makes you worthy of receiving the gospel, that you have to work harder and earn it. It says we've received that citizenship in Jesus. Live then in light of it. And in doing so, Paul asks us to consider three things. I think the first thing is this, expect suffering. Paul's life is a testimony to that, isn't it? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, someone who knew Christ, communed with Christ, walked with Christ. He's, Paul was a man who, who, uh, who had Jesus at the center. But did his life get any easier by our standards? I mean, was he rich? Was he immune to sickness? Immune from suffering? Of course not. He was in prison as he writes this. He was suffering for the gospel. Freedom comes with a price. Spiritual freedom will come with suffering. You see, uh, in other letters, I, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, Paul, he's, you know, since becoming a Christian, he's, he's been robbed. He's, he's, had physical, he's been physically abused. He's been shipwrecked. He's felt starvation and thirst. Suffering's going to happen. And it's happened to Paul. And he's warning us. Well, he's telling us that this is going to be part of being a Christian, being a citizen of God's kingdom. You know, and, and the world, the world and, and we... We're in shock, in horror, when we see beheadings, we, when we see persecution of Christians in the Middle East. Uh, we're angered by the persecution of Christians in places like North Korea. But should we be surprised? Or are they the ones surprised that we here in Brisbane, in Australia, we can be Christians and not face the persecution that they face? Because Paul talks about it, it's expected. Or perhaps it looks just very different for us in the comfortable West. Perhaps it might be having the integrity to proclaim Jesus and then being ridiculed for it. Maybe that's the type of suffering that we have to face. The person who, who comes to you and says, man, you've been brainwashed by the church. Or they'll come to you and they say, man, what you believe in is rubbish, it's stupid. And they'll humiliate you in front of a group of friends or a crowd because you're all the Christian in the crowd. Paul says, hey, expect that to happen. You know, in fact, in these verses, Paul says it's been granted to you, given to you as an opportunity to suffer for the name of Jesus. See, being a Christian in a world that's antagonistic against Christianity means that we're going to have to live lives that will face some form of hardship at times. Let's be honest. I know it doesn't sound fun. We want to be comfortable in our middle-class lifestyles, have our security blanket over us, and, and be nice and snug in a world where I can just hide behind, uh, behind the scenes and no one will treat me badly. I just want to be a fly under the radar, you know, and go unnoticed. Uh, do something for Jesus, suffer for Jesus. Wow, that doesn't sound like fun at all. That's not for me. That's maybe for the, 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 the pastor, the, the, the overseas missionary, the crazy Jesus freak or whatever. That's not for me. But Paul says, hey, that's a privilege for every Christian. As painful as it might sound, live lives worthy with honor and integrity, regardless of the naysayers, those who oppose you, Paul says, endure through it, persevere through it, because you not only follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ who suffered for us, but it also reveals that the gospel, the gospel is very real in your life. That salvation is being worked out in your life. Paul goes further though. Living a life worthy of the gospel is one that seeks unity with others. See, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement 
from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. If your faith has united you with Jesus, now you have a relationship with Jesus, guess what? We also have a relationship with each other. We're united to one another. So there's a vertical element happening with God. We're united with Christ. And there's a horizontal one as well. We're united. We're saved to Christ and saved into a relationship. That's our church family. That's who Christ has brought us to, to be united with. Paul says, unite and love your church. Use the freedom you have, not to live for self, but to live for God and to be united to the community God has gifted you with. How can we face our world? How can we face suffering with courage and hope without the team, the church team, the church family behind us? How can we do that when there's the potential for disunity amongst us? How can we have hope or persevere when we can't even get along with the people that God's given to us as his family? You see, the call for unity here isn't some sort of half-hearted, oh, it's a good thing to do when I get around to it. It's actually part of who we are as God's people, who we're called to be. Now, surely we all want unity, don't we? We want the idea of unity. You know, we want to love everyone. But let's be honest, will you and I, will you and you and your, your missional community that you're part of, that you meet up with throughout the week, will you still be united when disaster comes, when tragedy happens? When hardship comes your way, we're still learning about each other, aren't we? I'm still learning about people in our church, people's pet pet peeves that I didn't know before. You know, when you start going to a new church, our our church is only five years old, and so we always have new people coming in, right? You might be new, you might have only been with us for six months, a year, two years, whatever. But you know, when you start at a new church, it's often like you go on your first date with someone. You go on a date with someone and so you, you wear your nicest clothes, you put on your, 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 your nicest smile, your, your best foot forward. You know, your personality wants to shine through and you want, to, you, know, you want people to see you in a certain way. The same thing, when we go to church, you know, we put our best foot forward. We want people to like us. You know, we, want to, we want people to be impressed by us. We want, you know, whatever it might be. But then after a while, you get... You know, you sort of get relaxed with that person. You, you know, your walls come down a little bit and the real you comes out, just like church. And you know what? I always say this at our church. We want the real you to come from the first day. Come as you are. You know, leave your mask at the door. You don't need to come with some sort of you know, facade uh, or whatever. Just be you. But over time, we know with any big group of people, any team project, <laughs> anything like that, personalities clash, don't they? The person you want others to see you as was just a facade and being unified gets really, really hard because you start learning about other people too and how different they are to you. And we start rubbing each other the wrong way. And so we've got to know here, unity, it's more than just lip service. Unity here is really based on love that's centered on Jesus. Not some sort of fluffy, conditional love. If you meet my needs, then I'll love you. Then I'll be unified with you, united to you. But if Jesus is at the center, if he's at the center, And if we love Jesus, it overflows, doesn't it? It overflows to our speech and our actions and so that we can love one another. That's our vision here, loving Jesus, loving each other. First, we need to love Jesus. If we don't know the love of Jesus and love him, we're not going to love one another. It's going to be very hard to do that. We need to let the gospel affect our relationships. 
and he'll come then from a place of, of grace and love and joy. Consider the alternative though. Imagine a church that wasn't unified. A people who came together each week who didn't have the same love, who weren't like-minded about the gospel. We'd have big problems, wouldn't we? The gospel wouldn't progress. It's the team, right, that plays basketball, but no one really passes the ball to each other. They don't work together. They're not unified. It's like every, really, it's like every inspirational movie, underdog sports movie that you've ever watched, right, that's ever been made. The Mighty Ducks, Cool Runnings, Remember the Titans, Dodgeball, Space Jam. I don't know if you've watched any of them, but they all have the same narrative, the same storyline. The team's not going to grow or achieve anything if everyone's just playing for themselves. We need to work together. And often, especially in those movies too, and often in real life, to work together means first working on ourselves. Addressing our own issues so that we can work better with others. Love requires us to consider, how can I be of one spirit with others? How can I be unified with my Christian family? See, Paul wants the Philippine church to think like a family, to think like a team in unity. And so friends, here at Providence, are we striving for this? A big announcement has been made, yes. We are moving to a church morning time slot, 10 a.m. And we're still seeking to be united as we do that. And we need to uh, walk together with this big change. And I know 2020 has been a year of change and, and we want something sort of normal to go back to some sort of normal. And this is another big change. Church is changing again. And sure, some of us might feel inconvenienced. Some of us might feel uncomfortable. But more than ever, surely more than ever, we need to come together as a family, don't we? To support each other, to look out for one another, strive together to be of one mind, to be of one heart and, and the same gospel, to keep proclaiming and preaching that, whatever season we're going through. Ask yourself, am I, am I on board with the people here? Am I united to them? Or am I that person who wants their agenda to go forward more than others? Am I that person who cares more about my own reputation, our, our own entitlements, about our wants more than the reputation of Jesus, and so hinder the growth of this church or the people around us? We want to see change in others, but are we willing to let change happen in us first? So we can see then a group of people, a church on mission, unified together. Loving Jesus, loving one another, and loving our world. See, that's what Paul desires for his people. This is the Christian life. What might that look like? Well, Paul actually keeps going, doesn't he? Living a life worthy of the gospel expects suffering. It seeks unity. But it also uh, desires humble service of others. Verse 3. Let's keep reading. Chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's so poetic, isn't it? For the Christian here, uh, part of this community, we're here to humbly look to the needs of those around us, as Jesus did for us. He's our model. He's the trailblazer. He's the, our example. 
to serve one another as Christ served you and I. See, the church is a family that's got each other's back. Being part of a church means we're going to look to the interests of one another, not just for our own interests. And I love seeing that here at Providence. I love seeing people behind the camera, people uh, on Sundays when we gather together, serving one another, people who are uh, behind the scenes making church happen so that they can serve the wider church and serve newcomers who come through our doors as well. I love people seeing people and hearing about it, uh, volunteering their time to serve others outside of the, the formal structures as well. And I'm so thankful to Jesus for our, our little church here at Providence in Sunnybank. I'm so thankful for the, for the servant hearts that we have here. I've witnessed tangible humility. And wow, that's such a privilege for me. Ordinary people like you and, you and I who, who look to the needs of others before their own. Using our freedom to not just claim your entitlements, but using your freedom to serve, to see others flourish. Wow, what a privilege. And Paul says, go do that. Do nothing out of vain conceit or selfish ambition. And he's really talking about your attitude towards your church family, isn't he? And I I find this really interesting because it's not always the case as well. He needs to say this. Paul needs to write this because the default of our hearts is that we're often going to go to church. We're often going to treat our church family hoping that they'll meet our needs. That's our attitude sometimes, isn't it? It's our default. It's our default programming that we want, uh, our, we want our needs to be met and others to serve us. I know this isn't always the case, but often it can be, right? I don't know if you've ever uh, hosted a Netflix movie night. I, I often do it. I have people come over here. We watch a Netflix movie. And if you've ever done it, you'll know how hard it is to pick a movie together. Some people, uh, for me personally, always want to watch a horror movie, but then there are people in the group who hate horror movies, who never want to watch it. Some people want to watch action movies, but then others who don't like blood and gore. Others who want to watch uh, romantic comedies, but people think that's cheesy. And so we spend like an hour just trying to decide what movie to watch. And in the end, we just give up and we watch, I don't know, Brooklyn Nine-Nine or something. It's just, we just give up, right? It's so hard because everyone comes with their different uh, desires, (laughs) different needs, wanting to be met. We're spoiled for choice, aren't we? And we can never agree. And sometimes that's often the same heart we come to church with, right? Do we treat church as existing to meet our needs? Do we often come wanting wanting our needs met uh, and we come disgruntled instead, dissatisfied, thinking the church doesn't do enough for you? Have you ever had those thoughts? Uh, they're not meeting your expectations? And it might be really hard. We've got to adjust our attitude. We need to lay aside what we might feel passionate about. And it might make us feel discomfort, getting out of your comfort zone to be someone who's going to love someone at church, who's going to put aside your needs to sit with the newcomer at church or not sit with your, your family even so you can welcome the person who's alone. Someone who puts yourself out there, perhaps. Even if you fear public speaking, you're going to put yourself out there because you want to serve others. Imagine a church that really uh, cared about seeing, seeing that unity and, and, uh, and putting aside our differences. Wouldn't that change the way you see this church? For yourself, perhaps. Yeah, we're doing church online. We don't come here with our popcorn, though, do we? Hoping for a good show each week. 
We don't come each week uh, wanting to feel good about ourselves and then going home and going away with, with bigger heads but not bigger hearts. Church isn't about that. I'm not here to teach the Bible so you and I be- can become smarter sinners. The church isn't a place for you to simply just get entertained. But sadly, we treat it that way, like a Netflix movie night, where we can walk in and hope that what is preached today suits me, suits my style. It's exactly what I came for. And I think this is a deep problem in in churches, in our hearts, in the human heart, that consumerism is so ingrained in our society and ingrained in in us. We come to church as consumers. We're happy to, to sit in the same back row each week, happy not to have to welcome the new person or ask hard questions to the person next to us about their faith or share vulnerably about what we're going through and what people can pray for us about. Happy to not share about sin or struggles. We want to save face in front of people. Sure, we can show up and I can tick off, you know, tick off the checklist. I did church this week. Then I'm going to go back to doing my own life for the rest of the week. But is that what we're here for? Is that all we're here for? You know, I had a pastor in Sydney who always used to say to us at church, you're not here to sponge. You're here to serve. And if you're going to be here to sponge, we're going to squeeze you out that's what he'd say see paul paul needs to write this to the church because you and i we have naturally self-centered hearts jesus says love your neighbor as you love yourself he says that because it's so easy to love ourselves it's easy to serve ourselves we all have selfish ambitions we all have to some extent me too right we feel entitled to something You know, if I love this person at church, if I serve this church, I hope often to get something in return. But that's not grace, is it? That's not humble service. The culture around us tells us to be consumers. You're you're the customer. So you go on Facebook and you make a complaint if it doesn't suit your needs, right? And that consumer culture is rampant in churches today. Imagine if everyone here who came to church every week wanted their needs met instead of looking to the needs of others. You know, I, I know the temptation to, to think things like, why doesn't anyone come to me to say hello? I know the temptation to think, why, why don't they have a, a time slot that suits my schedule? Why can't I sit quietly and not be asked a question in my community group? Why can't I just come to this church and not serve and just enjoy it for myself? Imagine if everyone had that attitude. Paul writes this for us because he knows the human heart. You see, if if we all came with a consumeristic attitude, we'd just be here warming chairs, looking at each other, hoping someone will speak first. Humble service is important because Christ displayed that for us. He modeled that for us. And so Providence, we're a church family who have each other's backs, who strive to love one another. See, what the scripture uh, is saying is that church actually doesn't exist for you or for me. It's not ultimately about us. It's about Jesus. And when we live out what Jesus models for us, Jesus gets the glory. When we put the gospel in action, when we use our spiritual freedom that we've received to serve and love others, Jesus gets glory because Jesus first served us. I really want us to look at how Paul has framed this, this, this poem, you could say, 
He begins with a verse, let your life be worthy, right? Of the gospel of Christ Jesus. We heard that already in verse 27. In verse, 11, verse 5 to 11, he actually speaks about what this gospel is. I'll read from verse 6 actually. It says, who, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by be- becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, what makes this beautiful is the king is on it, the king who we worship. The king is on his throne, Jesus, the same king who, in his freedom, left his throne. He died for us to give us a spiritual, eternal freedom, right? And, and verse five eleven tells us he made himself nothing. He took on the form of a servant. He didn't need to to do that, but he did it for you and for me. In Mark chapter ten verse forty five. It says, he came to serve, not to be served. See, in the form of a servant, he was born as a man. He humbled himself in obedience to the point of death on a cross. This king wasn't recognized for who he was, but he was recognized just as a lowly carpenter's son. He didn't have a personal assistant or a servant to order around this king. He didn't have entertainers, an entourage, a secret service that followed him around. He had no throne to sit on, at times no bed to sleep on. He went through times of hunger, anger, grief, deep sorrow. Imagine that, a king who became a nobody, who limited his own freedoms to serve you and me. He had the right to rule the universe, but he laid his rights aside to become one of us, to become human. Became a nobody. He sat with tax collectors. He sat with prostitutes. He could sit with people like you and I, broken people who were once far from God. Our King Jesus has shown us what greatness looks like. It looks like humble service, doesn't it? It looks like love. It looks like obedience to the point of death on the cross. Now we we no longer have to call ourselves sinners. We're saints, clothed not by sin, but now clothed with righteousness because our King Jesus did that for us. And as we look to the one who himself is the source of freedom, the one who limited his freedom to serve humanity, what will the Christian life for yourself look like? We have a freedom in Christ. How will we use it? We're privileged, free people. It's been granted to us. Yes, it's been granted for us that we're called to suffer for the gospel because Jesus suffered for us. We're called to be a people unified for the gospel because we're now united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. We're called to serve one another in humility because Jesus does that through his obedience to the cross because he serves us. Now this Jesus reigns. Jesus is king. And friends, the king is on his throne and he calls us to follow him, to be like him to use our freedom to sit down and be humble, to use our freedom to serve, to use your freedom to love those who God has made your church family. 
as we follow the king who stepped off his throne to serve, we're empowered, aren't we, to get off our thrones and like Jesus, embrace the privilege to serve. If we're called to live out a life making the most of the gospel, we put down our own crowns. And like Jesus did in John 13, if you know that at all, what happens there? He gets down on his knees and he washes the feet of those around him. His own church, his own disciples. He said, do likewise. I want us to consider what humble service looks like for you and for me. What is it that you might need to reflect on about yourself that stops you from genuinely serving and loving others? What is it perhaps about your attitude or the way you think about church and God and the gospel? What is it about your pride or whatever else that it might be that we need to let go of or be free from so we can think of the needs of others? You know, I want us to start being practical. <laughs> Love love because not expecting anything in return uh, love because we want to practice Jesus love maybe you want to serve someone in our church by inviting them over for a home cooked meal because they don't have family around here in Brisbane maybe you know someone who's struggling with studies or struggling with finding a job struggling with loneliness and you want to pray for them send them a message of encouragement you want to spend time with them so they have someone to vent to and talk to Think practically. Help someone using your gifts or skills. Tutor them. Help them budget their finances. Help them with their taxes even if they struggle with that sort of stuff. Give them your time, your energy, your love. And maybe we need to start with our missional communities that have been set up in our church. And in those MCGs that we want to speak up more to serve our group, for some who already speak up a lot, maybe you need to sit and listen well to better serve your group. Perhaps you want to be the person who helps organize events or create a space that can host church watch parties, social activities perhaps, so your friends can meet your other friends and church friends can introduce their friends and we can serve one another in that way. I think service needs to be practical, not just a good thought that we should do it, not just lip service, but something practical. It does begin first reflecting on what's stopping you from doing it. What sin perhaps prevents you from looking to the needs of others some have been honest with me and they've just said simply they just don't care about people and i get that i can be like that too we all can be we don't think about others we just don't care about others but let's be honest we need to dissect our own hearts and acknowledge that first and in our individualistic culture i think it's our default programming and conditioning just like androids in detroit right we've been programmed to live just for self that's how society has taught us to do, live for, for number one, you. But God tells us to break free from that social and cultural conditioning. We need to live not just for self, we need to live for God and live to serve others. You know, when we live for God, we live to serve the gospel. That means not just for you, it means to see more and more come to know and worship God. And that comes through service humble service, making real choices that reflects a heart that already has everything in Christ, that has true spiritual freedom in Jesus, that isn't ashamed of the gospel, that isn't afraid to get on our knees and pick up a towel to wash the feet of our fellow brother and sister in Christ. But to do that, perhaps we need to investigate the words of Jesus, discover for ourselves what the good news, the gospel truly is, that our King humbled himself 
care for us. And as that truth sinks deep, perhaps the first step is to pray for God. Pray for God to help us. Pray to God to help us care more, to love more, to listen better, to step out and use our freedom, to step off our thrones, to, ser to serve others. God calls us to live lives worthy of the gospel, friends. What will that look like for you? I want to finish uh, just challenging us today as we move forward in this next step for our church, relaunching and starting something new with our morning service. It's going to be tough. It's going to be very tough. It's going to be very difficult. There's going to be new people coming through. There'll be uh, changes with uh, things, how things run perhaps. Just the whole time schedule will really uh, mess with our heads a bit. You know, what are we going to do with the rest of our days on Sundays if we're not doing evening church? Can I encourage you to spend time in prayer, spend time chatting to your missional community, spend time chatting to your leaders, ch chatting to me even about how we can serve our church in humble, in humility, humble service. How can we reflect the gospel in the way that we love our church? How can we uh, seek unity, even though it might be difficult? Can I encourage you to consider that as we move into this next chapter of Providence? We're five years old as a church. It's been a, it's been a great journey so far. It's been a privilege for me to walk with our church over these last five years. To do evening church and to see how God has, has grown our evening church and, and many have come to hear the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and come to worship him. I've seen people flourish in their faith and it's been such a privilege for me, a blessing for me. Let's continue to see that go forward. A church loving Jesus, loving each other and loving our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for our King Jesus who stepped off his throne who put down his crown to become human, to become a man, to be obedient to death on a cross so that our sin could be removed, so that we could have a relationship with you, so we could know spiritual freedom. Lord, we are free. We can live life with an attitude of, of, of uh, just knowing the freedom in you. We can share in, in Paul's mantra to live as Christ, to die as gain. Lord, that's, that's such a wonderful uh, grace that we have to know you, have a relationship with you. And so we pray, Lord, that that will so empower us to, to be a church loving one another, to be united around the same cause, around the same gospel, having the same love that comes from Christ. Help us to have that love and in turn, Lord, help us to humbly serve one another because we know the, serve, the, God, the God who served us. We know Jesus, Lord. And so we do pray that as we do that, your name will be glorified and Jesus, Jesus will be worshipped. And we pray for this in his name. Amen.